I remember years ago when our church was trying to implement some cost-cutting measures during a time of financial difficulties, that one of the things that was to be implemented uh, was to minimize car and driver service uh, that would bring people from their homes uh, to church for things like fellowship and choir practices. The solution was for those uh, individuals with cars to offer those without a car to ride to the church. We call that carpooling. So I remember coming up here and encouraging the church to carpool, uh, especially uh, if it was a person who lived close uh, to your house that you swing by their home uh, and pick them up and you come to church together. It would only entail a little sacrifice on your behalf. You would have thought I was asking them to donate a kidney. Carpooling pastor? Well, that's so inconvenient. I don't have time to wait around for other people who live in my neighborhood on their time. I'm not a chauffeur. I'm not a driver. But uh, we were able to stick with our plan. We had no other choice. And more than a decade later, it, it brings joy to my heart uh, that there are still people who uh, have taken the challenge of carpooling as a ministry uh, to come to church by bringing others that live around them. Those who complained about a request for self-sacrifice, many of them are no longer at our church. But I wonder, as we say that the culture of our church has changed, I wonder if I were to make another challenge for our church today to carpool, to minimize the number of cars that park in this village and to pick up someone who doesn't have the car so that they don't have to commute. I wonder how our church would respond. I venture to guess that for some, it would still be very difficult. You see, the generation today, young and old, finds it very hard to sacrifice because of a me-first culture, an entitlement culture. It's very difficult, generally, to give up something for the benefit of someone else. Now, we don't mind being the recipients of someone else's sacrifice, but boy, to give up something I hold on to, my schedule, my monies, my time, for the sake of others, is a foreign thought. That's why sacrifice as a spiritual discipline is lost today. But you know, at the end of the day, we actually do sacrifice. If you think about it, we will all practice sacrifice. If you want to grow your retirement nest egg and build up your finances, you know you've got to sacrifice expensive meals, perhaps designer coffee or perhaps going on those multiple holiday trips abroad. If you want to lose weight, you know you've got to sacrifice those late night, midnight snacks or uh, get up an hour earlier and sacrifice an hour of sleep to go to the gym. If you want to start your own business, you realize that you have to sacrifice the stability of your current job, your status, what people will think about you, and the money that comes with a regular paycheck to fulfill your dream to becoming your own entrepreneur. So you will tell me we do know sacrifice. But why is it so hard to sacrifice for the Lord and what He tells us to do in the Scriptures and to sacrifice for the things I've mentioned? I think the difference is if there is some sort of benefit for me, then we have no problems sacrificing. If I get something out of it, if it benefits my life, then I won't have a problem with sacrificing. 
But if it doesn't directly benefit me, then I don't think I'm going to do it. If that's your attitude as it relates to sacrifice, then you and I have lost focus about what sacrifice really is. Because sacrifice at its root level is first and foremost about others. That's why we have a more entitled generation today. Because we have not practiced the spiritual discipline of sacrifice. And that's what we want to take a look at this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 21, we're going to take a look at verses 1 to 4. It's a very familiar passage. It's a so-called widow's might passage. Luke chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. Here it will talk about some principles as it relates to the spiritual discipline of sacrifice. Now, some of you may wonder, what's the difference between simplicity and frugality as a spiritual discipline and sacrifice? We talked about simplicity a few weeks ago, and that's the giving up the desire to have what we currently do not have, learning to be content with what God has given us. That is the spiritual discipline of simplicity. But sacrifice, on the other hand, is giving up something that we already have in order to draw closer to God or in some way please Him with a life of faith. And so that's the nuance for the difference between the spiritual discipline of simplicity and the spiritual discipline of sacrifice. And this sacrifice is about giving up what we already have and that which we place as a basis for our security so that we can learn what it means to rely on the Lord. Look at me at verses 1 and 2 of Luke chapter 21. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he, that being Jesus, saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. Now the setting of this passage is that Jesus and, and presumably his disciples were at the temple courtyard. He was teaching them and, and he noticed that there were many rich people who were giving their offering to the Lord in the temple treasury. Now, they must have made quite a commotion because Jesus looked up and noticed them. The Pharisees were known to draw attention to themselves when they prayed or when they gave to the Lord so that people would notice them and think that they were very spiritual because of their outward action. We don't know if these rich people were Pharisees, and we're not picking on the rich. In fact, Look at verse 1 and 2, there is no assessment that Jesus makes on the heart condition of those rich who were giving. I venture to guess that there were many that day in the temple courtyards who were giving to the Lord with a very pure heart, with a very generous heart. There is no condemnation of them in this passage. So don't feel bad and think that the Bible is always attacking those who are rich as we mentioned last week, it is not the money itself that is the root of all evil. It is the love of it. Now, what's important in this story is that look what Jesus notices. He notices something that most of us would not notice. And here was a poor widow who had come to the temple courtyard to give to the Lord. And the Bible tells us that at the end of verse 2 that she puts in two mites. A mite is the smallest currency denomination of that time. It's similar in our context to two pennies, two cents, two centavos. 
she puts in what is seemingly inconsequential. Barely enough in most of our own minds to make much of a difference compared to what others were giving. But there she was, this poor widow who drops in two mites, the smallest currency, two centavos. I wonder if any of you, if you saw two one centavo coins on the floor, would bother to pick it up. Right? When we always see money on the floor, we look to see how much it is. If it's worth picking up, we'll do it. But I bet you 99% of you, if you saw two one centavo coins on the floor, would not even bother getting your hands dirty to go pick it up, correct? The 1% who picks it up, boy, you must be really desperate. But I think for the vast majority, it's not worth bending over and picking it up. And yet Jesus, the Son of God, God Himself, notices and pays attention to what this poor widow gives, drawing the attention of His disciples. You see, when we talk about sacrifice, we often naturally think about the big things. We sacrifice our lives, we sacrifice our career, we sacrifice our family, we sacrifice our friends. But you've got to understand that it's not necessarily in the big earth-shattering things that God takes notice. It's also in the small things that God notices. And from these first two verses, I want to draw out our first principle, number one. If you're taking notes, number one. God notices the sacrifice of small things. God notices the sacrifice of small things. That which we don't think would really make a difference in the, ni- in the eyes of God, He notices it. And so when you give up a seat on the MRT or on the bus to someone who is perhaps more elderly, He notices it. Perhaps if you let someone with five items in front of you at the grocery checkout counter because you've got two carts worth of food and it seems like they're in a hurry, and you do it for the Lord, God notices that. God notices when you take the church shuttle or walk from your home so that others and newcomers would have a better opportunity and a chance to find a parking space here in our limited area. He notices when you come early to sit in the front of the pews or perhaps in the middle of the pews so that those who come later don't have to walk very far to the front or won't have to hop over you to find a seat. I hope I'm not making you too convicted. But God notices the sacrifice, and it is a sacrifice of small things. These and other examples of daily sacrifice for the sake of the Lord and for His name are the things that God recognizes. The world may not, but He does. These daily actions of sacrifice remind us that we're not first. It's not about us, that we are called to serve others, to show them the love of Jesus And it reinforces in our minds that we are called not to live for ourselves, but to live for others. And you may wonder, okay, great, thanks, Pastor. God notices this. Who cares? Well, remember that when God takes notice, and the things that you do for Him and for His name will be credited to your heavenly account. The heavenly rewards that you accumulate from your small acts of sacrifice 
should be an encouragement to you to continue to do it. Others may not see, but God sees. Keep that in mind, that God notices the sacrifice of small things. Now let's go on. Look at verse 3 and 4. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. To our surprise, Jesus remarks to his disciples that this poor widow, in comparison with the wealthy who were putting in their offerings, has put in more to affect the kingdom of God. Her two might offering, her two centavo offering, was worth more in the kingdom of God than the wealthy who were giving much. And the reason Jesus makes this assessment is that this widow gives all that she has while the rich gave out of their abundance, their excess, their luxury. This type of assessment is very different from how the world would assume something is of worth, right? Especially in our Asian culture, how do we recognize something of worth? We look at numbers. Numbers, the amount, is directly correlated in our minds to something of worth. That painting is valuable because it costs this amount. But you know, in the scriptures, if you read the Bible, you will notice that there's not one single verse where God uses a number to assess our life. Is there a verse that tells us, well, God says that you have lived a faithful life because this is how much money you've earned. This is how many people you've witnessed to. No. In the criteria of God, numbers are never at play. It's never about the numbers. If you still don't believe me, Go read the book of Judges and the story of Gideon. And tell me if God really cares about numbers or not. What he's looking for is our heart. How it affects us. Whether our actions really express the worship of our heart. Let me ask you something. Which church or which type of church do you think the Lord would see as one that is successful, faithful to his call? A church of 100 people in a town of 200 people? Or a church of 1,000 people in a city of 20 million? Now, while a church of over 1,000 is quite impressive compared to one that's only 100, the church of 100 has worked hard to get 50% of its community to know the Lord. While a church of 1,000 in a city of 20 million is only tap 0.005% and impacted them to come to know the Lord. That's why God is fair. He assesses us based on our capacity. And therefore, as it relates to sacrifice, God's assessment of our sacrifice is based on how it affects us. And that's the second principle I want you to take away with number two. God assesses sacrifice based on how it affects us. God assesses sacrifice based on how it affects us. You see it here. 
God sees this widow as giving more than the rich because she gives her all while others give out of their excess and abundance. Now, I want you to listen carefully. God does not say that these rich people are bad people, right? He's just simply making an assessment. I'm sure he's appreciative of those who are giving. And he's not saying that they're bad. He's just saying in comparison between this widow and the rich, she's to be commended. Because even though monetarily it is very inconsequential, in the eyes of God, in the kingdom of God, it is of great worth because of how it affected her. And this aspect of sacrifice is important because by the very nature of sacrifice, it has to affect you somehow because the idea is turning it over to God, a giving up of self to God. So you've got to ask the question when you say you've sacrificed, are you somehow hurt? Are you somehow inconvenienced? Are you affected by your self-sacrifice? If you are not inconvenienced, if you are not hurt, if it doesn't lead you to change or transformation of life, then perhaps it is not sacrifice. You can call it that, but in the eyes of God, it is not. You see, the root of the idea of sacrifice comes from a picture of an animal that's brought before God, slaughtered, fats burnt, offered to God. And the idea is that the entire animal is being transferred in ownership from the person to God. The animal, do you ever wonder why the animal was killed? You, you say, well, because of the blood, the shedding of blood. That's true. But why is the animal killed? Why is it burnt? It's so that it cannot be given back to the person. Right? If you want blood... From the animal, you can just cut it a little bit, take blood, and say, Lord, here it is, an animal sacrifice. But the animal is killed, it's burnt. It's a complete offering to God. That's why it's called, literally, a sacrifice. The Hebrew word for sacrifice, there are two, is one is korban. means something that's brought forward. It is an offering. The other is zebak, literally slaughter. The force of these two words is that this animal, this sacrifice cannot be reclaimed when given. You can't take it back. Similarly, the Greek word for sacrifice is thuseia, meaning that which is offered. Complete incineration is the idea. It's completely given to God. Do we have this understanding when we talk about what we sacrifice to the Lord? You see, for most people, we give to the Lord often as an afterthought. We give what our leftovers of our time, our, our effort, and our monies. And even if we say, we sacrifice this to you, I wonder how many of you said, Lord, I'm going to set aside 30 minutes of every day to sacrifice my schedule for you. And you make that as a New Year's resolution, which is coming up. And then by about the sec second week of February, you say, Lord, I'm just too busy. I'm going to take back my time. Well, that's not much of a sacrifice when you can take back that which you've offered to God. God says, I assess sacrifice based on how it affects you, how much it costs you to transfer that which you hold on to and are willing to give to me. And you say, well, pastor, that's so hard to do. And in fact, you say these disciplines you've been talking about these past few weeks, they're such high ideals. And I, I want to 
as a side note, tell you, yes, absolutely, it's tough. But I've got to preach these disciplines as they are taught in the scriptures. And the standards are very high. And yes, I know that the Lord knows that we can't live them out perfectly because we are sinful people. But we need to set the bar very high. We don't set it with a low-hanging fruit. We set the bar high as the Bible reveals it so that we don't start using loopholes to try to undermine and undercut God's desire for how we are to live our lives through these disciplines. So when we talk about a thing like sacrifice, it doesn't mean we go home and give away all of our monies. Because in the balance of Scripture, there are other Scriptures that tell us that we are to save. That we are to care for what we are responsible for, like our families, and provide for them. Sacrifice is not a justification for being irresponsible. But the force of what the Bible is telling us is that it is teaching that when we sacrifice, we should be so affected that we are able to learn the lesson that we are supposed to learn when the Bible tells us to sacrifice. Let me give you a few examples. Perhaps it will draw this principle a little bit clearer. Let's say after this Sunday morning message on sacrifice, you are convicted in your heart, and you want to teach your children about sacrifice, and you have planned this Christmas break a trip to L.A. to go to Disneyland. And so after service today, you go and you tell your children, I was convicted, and this is a hypothetical scenario, I've been convicted, and I think we should give up our plans to go to L.A. Disneyland and save money and I'm sure the reaction would be one of anger from your children, and they wouldn't be happy with me, but this is a hypothetical situation. And then you explain to them, well, if we save money from this trip, we can help a church in the Messiahs that was affected by the recent typhoon, right? That seems like a, a wonderful justification for giving up a trip that uh, perhaps we had planned. And so finally, your children agree, and uh, they're settled with it because it will help others. And to your surprise, you didn't have to fight them very much, and you were quite glad that they understood what sacrifice meant. And so in about a week and a half time, on the last day of school before uh, uh, holiday break starts, you surprise them. And as they come home, you surprise them, and you tell them, Daddy and Mommy... Are, are, are so pleased that you have understood the lesson of sacrifice and are willing to give up a trip to L.A. Disneyland to help a church that was devastated by the typhoon, that we are going to surprise you with a trip to Hong Kong, to go to Hong Kong Disneyland. It's not L.A. Disneyland, but it's Hong Kong Disneyland to reward you for your sacrifice. In that scenario, let me ask you, do you think the lesson will really be learned? You see, the lesson of sacrifice shouldn't be from L.A. Disney to the lesser Hong Kong Disney. Instead, the lesson would be better served if you just stayed home. That they understood that they had to give up something to help someone else. You see, this generation doesn't understand sacrifice because their concept of sacrifice is, I'll get a little bit less of what I want, but at least... I got something. So I'm going to be happy just with a Samsung S10. I will sacrifice not having the S10 Plus, right? So I'm, I'm okay sacrificing the Plus as long as I got the new basic model. And you'll pat yourself on the back 
At least this generation will and say, I have sacrificed. If you think like that, young and old, you and I will have completely missed what sacrifice is about. Now you say, why in the world would I want to practice this discipline? It doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Sacrifice is not fun. The reason? Let's review verse 2, 3, and 4 again. I want you to notice something that is stressed in this passage. Look at verse 2. And he saw also a certain, note this, poor widow putting in two mites. Verse 3. Truly I say to you that this poor widow is put in more than all. Verse 4. She, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. The Bible makes it a point to stress that she was, firstly, poor, and secondly, a widow. She lived in poverty. Now, let me begin with the fact that she was a widow. It meant that there was not someone else that was taking care of her. That's why the admonition in the Scriptures, especially in the early church, was for the church to take care of widows and orphans. There was no one to take care of this woman in her economic condition. And the economic condition in which she was in was not a very good one. It was dire for sure. But what would entice her and encourage her to willingly give to the Lord? No one's forcing her. Two mites, all that she had. You and I would not have faulted her at all knowing her economic condition and her not offering anything. Why would she do so? And what's implied in these verses is that it is her faith in God, a God that would take care of her, that allowed her to do that. She trusted that God would provide for her needs as He has so promised. You know, one of the things I want to do when I get to heaven, I've got a laundry list of things, but one of the things I want to do is I want to meet this widow. Because I want to ask this widow, what happened to your life after you gave those two mites? The Bible doesn't tell us. It ends in verse 4. She gave all that she had. Did she go home and die? What happened? We know what happens. Because if we look at the totality of Scripture, we know that she was taken care of. It is her great faith in the Lord that leads her to give all that she has in sacrificing, knowing and trusting that God will take care of her. You see, the lesson that comes out of sacrifice is an important lesson, the lesson of faith and trust. And that's our third principle, number three. God teaches us the lesson of faith and trust when we sacrifice. Why do we want to practice the discipline of sacrifice? So that we can learn what it means to have faith in God and to trust Him. You see, if you never sacrifice, if you never give up what you hold so tightly onto, you and I will never understand what it means to trust God. To have faith in Him. That's why so many people today are asking me, Pastor, how can I have more faith in God? I want to have more faith. I'll tell you how to get more faith. Live out a life of sacrifice. Because when you give up that which you would place your faith in to get you through life, you will naturally learn faith. As I was thinking about it this week, wouldn't it be great if the story continued in verse 5, 6, and 7? 
And after she gave her two mites, hypothetically, as she was walking back home, she stumbled upon a bag of money. And she praised God and lived a happily ever after life. Wouldn't that be great? If that was how the story ended, that would be everyone's favorite Bible story. Because you would always point to that and say, look, look. She gave everything and she found a bag of money. She won the lottery. You're not great. What a great story. But if the Bible had revealed the story in that manner, we would all be giving to God, not because of sacrifice, to desire faith. We would all be giving to God because we expect a huge ROI. For those of you who are unfamiliar with that term, that's return on investment. I believe that Luke does not tell us what happens to her because the emphasis is on her faith, not on the results. You and I sacrifice because it has nothing to do with us, nothing that we receive in return except to learn a life of faith. The Bible is full of stories like this one. This is not a one-off. Go back home and read 1 Kings chapter 17. And you will read about a very interesting story of a widow in Zarephath who gave the prophet Elijah the last of her cooking oil. And you begin to see how God took care of her. But the stress of this and other passages about sacrifice is on the faith and trust that comes alongside with our willingness to sacrifice. You and I will never fully understand a life of faith when you and I do not practice daily this discipline. That's why you and I, even if we have lots of things, even if God has blessed us materially, can still have, have a life of faith if we are daily practicing sacrifice. In our small way, perhaps a sacrifice going to a party or to a social event, and instead going to church and trusting that God will make it up to you in case you think you're going to miss out on something if you don't go. That you're willing to sacrifice your rights and fighting for your own honor and what is rightfully yours to know that God will take care of it on your behalf to avenge for what is right. And it's important to understand what it means to sacrifice so that your faith will grow. You know, people ask me all the time, Pastor, was it difficult for you to give up your lucrative career in the world of business to become a pastor? Not to tell them it was a process. It wasn't that I woke up one day and said, you know what? I have such strong faith that God will provide for all of my needs. I'm going to give up my job and go to study the Bible at seminary and become a pastor. No. Big faith begins with small sacrifices. Did you get that? Big faith begins with small sacrifices. Because those sacrifices of your life begins to build up. Small steps of faith. Small steps to learn that God will take care of you. And it is those small steps of faith that allows me in my own life to really then trust Him on the so-called big things in my life. It's a process, but it's a wonderful journey if you and I will begin with the small step 
of sacrifice. Now you say, Pastor, it's Christmas. Why in the world are you talking about sacrifice? You should speak on happier sermon messages because it's a festive time. If you think about it, the Christmas story as one of its major theme is about sacrifice. Every single character, every single player in the beautiful Christmas story had to sacrifice something and trust that God would work it all out. We think of Mary, the mother of Jesus. She had to sacrifice her reputation and endure the gossip of bearing the Christ child and yet not being married. How many people in her community do you think really believed her when she said that she was pregnant but had not slept with another man? Imagine if you were to meet someone and she says to you, oh, I'm pregnant, but I've never slept with another man. How many of you would say, oh, yeah, right, okay, in that tone? None of you would believe it. And it's never happened before. In history past, the reputation was destroyed. The gossip mills would have gone on overdrive. And yet she was willing to sacrifice to be the mother of Jesus. Joseph, the Bible describes as a righteous man, a godly man. The Bible tells us he had to sacrifice his reputation to take Mary as his wife, knowing that she had a terrible reputation and that his reputation as a righteous man would be hit. The Bible also tells us he did not know her intimately until after Jesus was born, even though they were married. Man, we call that a sacrifice of self-control. But that's how the Bible revealed it. And both of them didn't have an easy life. They both sacrificed having to live in Egypt, being warned by an angel that Herod the Great was after them. And so they moved to a foreign land for a period of time. You ask anyone who just gave birth or have small children if they want to move anywhere outside of their comfort zone without a system of support. They had to quickly pick up and leave overnight to run to Egypt just because they were called to be the earthly father and mother of Jesus. The shepherds sacrificed a good night's rest to search door to door for a baby in swaddling cloth lying in a manger as the angels told them so that they could come and worship Emmanuel. If I were to ask you this afternoon to give up your Sunday afternoon to go visit a baby that needed to be visited, and I only gave you a description that he is wrapped in swaddling cloth, but you got to go to all the hospital wards and find this baby, would you do it? Probably not. Pastor, you come back to me when you've got the room number, at least the parent's name. I'll call before I visit. The wise men. Wise men from the east had to sacrifice a long journey of more than a year to travel from where they first saw the star until they came to worship Jesus as a child. A one year or more sacrifice to journey just to come and worship the Christ child. And of course, the greatest of sacrifices in this story is that of Jesus Christ. 
who took on the limitation of a human body, when in incarnate form, he became one of us. That he who receives heaven's glorious praise day and night would now walk this earth to the ridicule of mankind. Every day the angels worshipped Jesus, brought praise to him, and yet he sacrificed all that to come to earth to be made fun of by the people he was going to save. And he who knew no sin would become sin for us and take on the sins of the world, past, present, and future, so that he would die in our place to be the propitiation of our sin in order that mankind might have salvation and have eternal life. How is it that when we are reminded of the gift of God, and that's the gift of God, in the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ, we cannot bear to sacrifice for Him even a little? When God convicts us, perhaps, to maybe give up 30 minutes of Netflix time or a computer game to read His Word and to pray, we can't even do that. It's too big of a burden when God asks us to, in the conviction of our hearts, to sacrifice a social event or to wake up an hour earlier or to stay an hour later to serve Him in the church, we can't do that. Oh, but we can accept His ultimate sacrifice. And it's interesting, we tell each other, remember the reason for the season. We better remember it. It is to remember His sacrifice. And that first advent to take on an incarnate human form. Not to live, but to die. And so when we say, remember the reason for the season, you and I better be willing to sacrifice. That when we are the recipient of someone else's sacrifice, that hopefully compels in us a response to sacrifice in return. And to know that someone died in our place, your place, my place, hopefully will get a rise from you to actually do something. I want to close, perhaps, with a few practical ways that you can practice this spiritual discipline of sacrifice. There are tons of others, but these are just what came to mind. Perhaps it will spur you on to even be more creative to do just that as you daily practice this discipline. What a wonderful time, especially in this Christmas season, to teach your children about sacrifice, perhaps, you know that they'll get a lot of gifts from everyone else, but perhaps your gift to your children could be that this year you don't give them a gift. And you tell them why. You say, how about instead of getting a gift from dad and mom, that we go and we make a donation to help a child who's hungry to something like World Vision or Compassion International and let them help choose that child they want to help instead of a gift for them. But do not make the mistake, if you do that, to then make it up to them and buy them a gift of a lesser value. Because that would take away from the lesson of sacrifice. I'm sure that instead of getting 25 gifts, that they only got 24, they would still survive. But at least perhaps your gift to them, through something a bit more creative, would teach them this important lesson. Or perhaps as you have a lot of wonderful extravagant dinners 
you could save one of those dinners and take the money that you were going to have and spend an extravagant dinner on yourself and, and buy a meal for 10 other people, perhaps anonymously. Now, I'm sure you could say, well, Pastor, I can do both. I can provide dinner for 10 people and have an extravagant meal. No, just make sure that you have a simple meal at least one of those times. And then check your heart to see if you're content with it, see if you're happy doing so. Or sacrifice your time instead of watching a Netflix series or binge watching on something this holiday, you go out and actually volunteer somewhere where they need volunteers. And I'm sure, I'm sure your first question is, Pastor, where can we volunteer? Why don't you sacrifice more of your time and effort to find a place close to you that you can find out has a need for you and your family perhaps to go and volunteer? The effort you put in shows your desire to sacrifice for the Lord, to teach you faith and trust to do something for the Lord. Perhaps you can sacrifice a relationship, meaning cutting off a relationship that's unhealthy, one that's holding you back from doing the purpose of God or holding you back from living out a Christ-like life. When I think about this act of sacrificing a relationship, my mind immediately goes to my friend Kevin. I told his story to this church, I think, eight to ten years ago. You may or may not remember it, but uh, I have his permission to share his story, although I've changed his name to protect his identity. Kevin is a missionary currently in Muslim Thailand. But I met Kevin more than two decades ago at a conference. He was uh, a wonderful, cheerful young man then, California, typical California surfer dude, blonde hair, blue eyes, six foot two, good looking. And so as we got to know each other, I kidded with him, hey, Kevin, I'm sure you have a lot of girlfriends. You, uh, are you married? What's your situation? And he told me, Steve, uh, I'm not married, but uh, I had a girlfriend, and uh, he said, do you have time, let me, I want to share you my story, and I said, sure, I'd love to hear it. Kevin told me that as he was growing up in California, uh, and as he was involved in his church's youth group, he met a wonderful young woman who also loved Jesus. She was a beautiful young woman, lived in California, loved Jesus with all of her heart, and uh, they had gone out uh, for a few years, and he thought she was the one. In fact, they'd already talked about marriage. It was then that the Lord impressed upon the heart of Kevin uh, to serve him in Southeast Asia, specifically the Muslim in Thailand. And so he, of course, shared his burden with his girlfriend, then-girlfriend, and she who loved Jesus said that she needed to pray about it. Well, after about a month's time, she came back and she told Kevin that she had sought the Lord's will, but it was not the Lord's will for her to serve him in Thailand. It was the Lord's will and direction she felt in discernment 
to stay stateside, stay in the U.S., uh, and to perhaps raise money for missions instead. And so Kevin had a choice. Kevin could marry this beautiful girl from California who loved Jesus, and they would have a wonderful, comfortable life, and they could still do the work of the Lord in California. Or he would have to go alone to Thailand to fulfill what he felt was God's clear call. He said, Steve, it was one of the hardest days of my life. Tears in both of our eyes when we broke up. She was going to stay in California, and I was on my way to Thailand. You would say, what a wonderful example of the sacrifice one must make, especially in a relationship to serve the Lord. Kevin said, I went to Thailand with joy in my heart, knowing that this was God's clear leading. He began to have an effective ministry. He said, but that's not the end of the story. You see, two years later, I get a phone call from California, my ex-girlfriend. She has called me to tell me that she's getting married, and she wants me to know. Kevin tells me, Steve, my heart was broken at that moment. I was angry with God. You see, I said to God after that phone call was over, I said to God, God, if I have to suffer and be single here in Thailand, so should she in California. Because, you know, that's how we all are, right? If I have to sacrifice, everyone in this room must sacrifice also. That's just the way it is. That's the way we like it. How is it that I have to sacrifice and she gets an amazing husband and an amazing life? It was then that Kevin told me, that's when I really learned what sacrifice means. That's when God rechallenged in my heart if I really trusted Him, if I really had faith in Him, if I really loved Him. I was convicted as God spoke to my heart, Kevin says, that I called back my ex-girlfriend and I blessed her. And I said, I hope you'll have an amazing, wonderful life. Kevin today is still a missionary in Thailand. He is not married. In fact, he told me he may never be. I once asked him, what is your life verse he said his life verse is, for to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I said, no one ever picks that as a life verse. He says, Steve, I have it in my mind that I will die for the Lord here. I've received multiple death threats, which he has, working in a very restive area in Thailand. He's not married today. But whenever I see him, he's full of joy. His faith is so deep that I am ashamed of my own faith walk. Because I believe he made sacrifices throughout his life so that he is able to truly live a life of faith and be content with it. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about sacrifice and expressing it, at least in this example, in a relationship. Perhaps you can sacrifice a long, lifelong dream for your child and say, Lord, not what I want for my child, but what you want for him. Perhaps you will free up your child to 
one day perhaps pursue the call of becoming a pastor or a Christian missionary or a teacher. That takes a lot of sacrifice on the part of a parent as well. Perhaps you can, in this season, share Christ with others. Tell them about the ultimate sacrifice of the sinless Son of God. I know that in these next few weeks, you will gather with friends and family. You will gather with high school friends, barcadas. You will gather with college friends, eating groups that you have. And you've always been afraid to share Christ with them. Would you sacrifice a little bit of a possible shame to sacrifice your reputation to perhaps be jeered at and made fun of? To ask for them in that dinner as they're joking and trying to catch up to just have five to ten minutes for them to hear you out as you summon the courage with the Lord's help to tell them about Jesus. To tell them about the one who gave up in an ultimate sacrifice for, for you and for me. Could we make that sacrifice? Well, we may not be invited again to one of those meals, but what an opportunity God gives us, especially in December, to meet with friends and family we would not normally meet and have the opportunity to share with them Jesus. I don't think they're going to reject a call from you to just share five to ten minutes from your heart about what Jesus means to you. Are you willing to sacrifice? That and a lot of other ways are ways by which you can practice this discipline. It is hard. No one said it was easy. The very nature of sacrifice is about others. It's not about you. And by doing so, I hope this congregation would grow in their faith, would grow in their trust of Jesus Christ as they learn to give up that which we hold so tightly to and understand that God assesses us based on our capacity. But we begin with the small things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this widow in her heart of faith. Put us all to shame. She exemplifies sacrifice. We only pretend, in many cases, to sacrifice. Assess our lives in such a way, Lord, this morning that we sacrifice because we want to draw closer to you. Help us to dispel the notion that we've got to do big and amazing things that from our small daily expressions of sacrifice, a deep and big faith will come out of it. Thank you, Lord, for how you continue to teach me and teach us every day to live a life that really impacts this community for Jesus Christ. Help us to recognize and realize it's not about us. We are not first. But what you've done, may you be first in the lives of the men and women here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.